Welcome to the Gifted in Real Life podcast, where we discuss all things gifted learning, whether you yourself are gifted, you're parenting, counseling, or helping to launch someone gifted. This is the place to discuss your journey without the fear of judgment. I insist that you relax and enjoy the show. So on that note, I want to delve into something. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you had an opportunity through a pilot program to be a part of a multi-grade level class. And that is so important for gifted learners because they often experience what's called an ill fit when it comes to peers. Because we know that gifted kids are asynchronous developers, meaning that they can literally be multiple ages at once. So let's say you have a seven-year-old. Well, that seven-year-old could also be five or nine or even more than that if they're profoundly gifted. And one thing that they really need to have like the ideal learning environment to thrive is flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of kids today don't get that. Like when it comes to their social circles, it is brutal. It's always been that way, but I think even more so now to fit in. Yeah. Um, you know, with peers who are your same age, they can really struggle. Can you think of some ways or have you ever, have you noticed any situations where you've noticed a kid who kind of stands out in their social group and maybe they experience um, backlash or stress stress from that? Mm -hmm. And how do you, what would you recommend as um, for any of your colleagues? Like if they notice this, if some kid is, always being called out for doing something or like they're always the one to get blamed for something or just standing out for something socially what's something that you would do on behalf of that child to help them along in their growth um, socially and emotionally so something that I did last year um, I've not yet had a normal teaching year my first year I was teaching I was pregnant with my daughter second year was you know the big c that happened wow you started during this uh yeah the year before oh wow was a classroom teacher I'm, yeah um, so and, wow. and that year was my first year in a new district too so that was this is tough <laughs> kudos to you for hanging wow. in there for still doing this because it's tough hard. even without those things but i think too i didn't know any different and so i'm like maybe it's not as hard for me because it this is kind of my normal. I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. Um, and then my second last year, um, we, we had online students and a lot of them came back after January. Well, when they did, it bumped me and my co-teacher up to a three-person team. So I went from teaching reading and social studies to only teaching reading and my other teacher went from math and science to only math. And then we gave the third teacher um, science and social studies. But he and I got to kind of handpick that third class. And so we sat down and we were like, what would happen if we put a lot of our gifted kids in one class? And I know a lot of people have um, kind of mixed emotions about that, about 
putting your, your higher thinkers into one classroom. But at the time, we had gifted and EIP students and our EIP roster was filled plus some. So we were struggling to teach very opposite ends of the spectrum. So we put a majority of our gifted students who we thought would do well in this one homeroom, um, only to realize that that was socially not a great idea in the middle of the year and in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, how so? Oh, they didn't have the social skills to handle each other. <laughs> they had not been taught as fifth graders, and we got a lot of emotions happening, but they had not been taught how to work with each other every day because they only had each other all together one day a week. And now they were with each other five days a week. And it, it was a very interesting dynamic. It was, I told um, our principals, like, it's almost like the anxiety is palatable. Like you can see it. It's a very different classroom because there were so many gifted students who were dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. We were still getting ready to take our state standardized testing. They were very nervous. Wait, they still that. took that? Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. And it, it wasn't great, but they did it. They did their best. And I was super proud. Um, it, you know, it, I've never put too much into the state standardized testing anyway. So I try not to make it a big deal as a teacher, but they were just very nervous about that. And so after a couple of weeks with our, our new class, I started implementing something called Monday musings. And I would put up a quote and it started off as, you know, inspirational quotes about resilience and grit, dealing with anxiety, being unique. And I would give them five minutes to write in their journal. But the deal was I wasn't going to read it. And if they had something else on their mind, they can write about that. And if they don't, they had the option to share, but if they don't want to, they can fold their page over and that's it. In the first couple of weeks, nobody wanted to share. And there was a lot of folded pages. But as we opened the floor, I would share my thoughts on the quote too. And I was very honest with them about my issues with anxiety and how I handle dealing with pressure and, and operating as a gifted adult in comparison. And so we ended up opening this dialogue at the beginning of every class about social emotional issues um, and it took maybe 10 minutes which you know I'd rather do that than grammar because to me what? that was more important Grammarian. Oh. <laughs> we still had time but they pretty much already mastered all of their you know verb tenses so I felt a little better about not focusing on it with them but they just in I still have students that come back as sixth graders and they're like, you are my favorite teacher because you listened. I'm like, that's all you have to do is listen. Yep. Sometimes we would have, we ate lunch in our classrooms um, to kind of limit the cafeteria exposure, which personally I loved and I wish we could continue it forever. We would listen to audiobooks, um, so, you know, they could get some new novels kind of while we're having lunch together that they may not have time to read with everything else they have going on. Some weeks, a couple of girls would pull me and we would go have lunch together and just talk about some of their issues that they're having with their 
you know, their girlfriends in class or the boys or whatever. And I think, you know, the biggest thing is just to listen and just to give the kids an opportunity to share, but you have to build up that it, it takes time. You can't just walk in day one and tell me about your life and how do you feel? Um, you have to build up that trust with them. Well, kudos to you for doing that because you're right. It does take time to build that up. Um, but I think the most important thing about it is that you did it. You gave them an opportunity to debrief and to brain dump and all of those things. Um, so many times we try to hold our students accountable for things that we haven't even taught them how to do. Yes. Like that's about building a relationship. How many adults struggle with relationships? Oh, absolutely. A I mean, lot. And what would happen though, if we taught them as children, how to have healthy relationships? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that would be invaluable for them. I mean, it would reduce anxiety and those sort of things. So mm -hmm. again, kudos to you for even thinking of that, for caring enough to do that, because it does not happen enough. I mean, yeah. So many schools don't even let the kids have time to talk to each other. Oh, that's a no whole breaks. Even at lunchtime, they they tell them where to sit, yes. and they can only talk to the people around them. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's unhealthy mentally. Yeah. I think that's very unhealthy. Yeah, which is why I liked having lunch in the classroom because we you know we listen to books. Some some days we you know we would not, and we would just have a talk time they need time to talk. Um, we would try to watch CNN 10 with our classes so that we can have conversations on what's happening in the world. Um, I think, especially with gifted students, because they do mature mentally, we think of them as little adults. But emotionally and, and like processing socially, they're not. They're children. They're still 10 years old. Yeah, they still have to learn how to interpret Yes. Conversations and emotions. If they, if they see a teacher get frazzled or demonstrate that he or she might be upset, they automatically think it's about them, whether it oh, is or absolutely. not. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't pay attention to. I mean, they, they struggle in silence a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot. And I think, you know, as a teacher, you have to be okay saying, I'm sorry. As a parent too, I have no problem telling my toddler, I'm sorry. That was, I should not have reacted that way. I'm sorry. Um, and, but it's the same for our students. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that I got mad and let's talk about how we can better handle that for both of us. I don't think a lot of adults want to say I'm sorry to kids, but if they don't see us saying I'm sorry, then why would they? Right. Right. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, about your kiddo. And if you've yeah. seen any um, indicators there with your child, because um, I, I was an assistant principal at a high school, and we used to have this saying that monkeys don't have elephants. And what we meant was that a lot of times the things that you see in your students, you know, they sort of got from their parents, whether it's just the environment or mm -hmm what have you. And it's true, although children are different from their parents, there are some things that are common. And even with mm -hmm. siblings, usually there's like a 10 point IQ spread. If you have one gifted child, um, there's a high likelihood that you'll have another gifted child. I don't know if you know this, but there's also um, research out there that shows that 
gifted people are attracted to each other in the sense of a lot of gifted people will become friends and they may not even know that they're both gifted until yeah. later. Even mates um, yeah. tend to be gifted and, and not even know that. So I think that's a fun little, a fun little fact to know about that. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience with your own child and um, um, possibly I want to take a little time to talk about what you do outside of school for okay. fun. So. And talk about my, my sweet little baby all day. <laughs> um, no, I, I do see sparks of potential giftedness in her. I also try to kind of monitor that because she's not three. She'll be three in March. And so I'm like, okay, so how much of this is just innate curiosity because you know, we're a toddler? And how much of this is a true brain function of, I need to know the answer. But I mean, since she was a baby and could start crawling, if she, you know, for example, tried to go after the, uh, the outlets, electrical outlets, you know, we would tell her no, and then have to explain to her why just telling her no was not enough. There needs to be an explanation even before she had the ability to talk. Um, so we never had, you know, the things that you put on there delay baby proof because the explanation was enough and she never went back to it she um I mean I don't know if you can hear her now but she is all about some music Encanto is our current favorite oh my gosh we saw that yes it's for families out there who have gifted learners it's a a must watch yes absolutely must watch I mean, I cried the first time and not necessarily because of the ending. I think it was more because I was like, I feel seen. Yeah. <laughs> I heard someone else say that. I feel so seen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not that she loves the story, but she more loves the music. The music has been her thing since day one. She will put on music. We like to listen to what she calls the water dance. It's Irish folk music. Um, and on the screen is like pictures of Irish rivers and, and ocean and stuff. Uh, and that's her favorite. She'll put it on and she just jam out, twirl. My husband is a paramedic or was, he's now switched careers, but he was a paramedic. So he has stethoscopes in a drawer and probably about a year ago, she started getting them out to play with. And about, it was probably about Christmas time. We were playing like sword fighting and I was like, oh, you got me and fell on the ground. She goes, hold on mama and runs, gets the stethoscope, comes back, puts it on. And it's like checking me How cute! to make sure I'm like, what are you doing? She said, I check with stethoscope. Ah. The child could say stethoscope. I was like, girl, (laughs) I'm impressed with that. Uh, But then, you know, she throws temper tantrums and crawls around she acts like a dog like every yeah, all other of that is a part of it. all of that is a part of it <laughs> I love it but I try to give her opportunities to be as creative as she mm. wants to be I mean she'll do weird things as all toddlers do and right you know we have like little play kits where she can build blocks or play with cars but she wants to mix and match so she puts her cars on the blocks and then her magic sand and like makes a castle out of it, runs the cars into it. Okay. Right. You're, you're being creative. I'll allow it. 
Right. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of kids start that 10,000 hour journey, I like to call it, because that's what research shows it takes to become an expert in something, to have studied and or practiced it for 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And a lot of gifted learners start it when they're early. Um, I, I try not to talk too much about my kids on the podcast. I mean, not that they're, they ever watch it or anything, but um, when one of mine was two, okay, she had an interest, was obsessed with volcanoes for like two years. Yeah. And I remember one day we went to McDonald's and there was a volcano toy. And I, I, I swear she, she manifested that thing <laughs> into being, because why would McDonald's have a volcano? It wasn't attached to any movie at the time, it's really interesting. And there was a time when she was in first grade where they were learning um, about Egypt. And at the the school that she attended at that time, they only taught world history. Mm -hmm. And in first grade, I remember her having such a clear grasp on what they were learning. That was another one that she was into for, I mean, it was, it was a few years, but she could explain it like a teacher would. She knew like, even to this day, I still don't know as much as she does about it. That innate much older now. Yes. Yes. And it changes. It does. Um, Yeah. So that'll be an interesting ride. So you, you might want to journal it as you go because it it changes. I know. Um, So my mom keeps telling me I need to write down some of the things that she says. Yeah. Or at the very least, whip out your camera and have a video and go back to it later and you know, make a montage so that you can remember those things. But it's, it's really interesting um, to see. I, I'll share this with you because I'm an educator. It was important to, you know, introduce the kids to things. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my daughter was little, I was teaching her phonics and I would teach them to her, but I got to the point where I would use a video, the letter factory. Mm-hmm. And so maybe she was two, she was two or three. And for those who aren't familiar with the letter factory, it's a video that's made by Leapfrog and it just goes through the alphabet and they um, have a song that's connected to each vowel sound. And it's really cute and really easy to remember. So I remember the first time I showed it to her, she didn't get any of the letter sounds. She wasn't interested, but what she did do was she followed the story. Oh yeah. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. I'm like, you totally missed these phonics, but she knew the story. Yeah, That is what resonated with her. That was so cool. Meanwhile, my other kid, um, (laughs) I didn't even teach him and he was spelling our last name and counting to 20 before he was two. And I was like, even as an educator, it was kind of freaky to see some of these things. You talked about your daughter saying stethoscope. I can remember when my daughter was 10 months old, she was saying belly button. Like, yeah. who is that? Where did you get these, these words? I mean, right. right. And it's not like you sit them down and make them say stethoscope or belly no. button. They pick it up. It's, yeah. it's really cool and interesting. So, yeah. so let's say that your daughter um, does demonstrate these characteristics of giftedness. How do you think you will um, prepare her for that journey? Mm. Have you given any thought to that? I think... My approach with parenting is similar to my approach with teaching. I guess I teach my kids, my students, as if they're my kids. I'm just very honest and open in conversation. Um, 
you know, if, if there's an issue, and I think sharing my struggles too, as a student with my daughter or with my students is something that I'm working on. Um, there's a lot of things that as I get older, I'm like, oh, okay, that was, that was a struggle for me. That was hard for me. Being left out did hurt. And here's how you deal with that. It's, it's an interesting conversation too, I think, because I struggled with a lot of self-identity and self-esteem. And a lot of that I put on myself. I don't know that it was really anyone else telling me things. It was more that inner voice telling me things. Um, so I think having that conversation too of you have to kind of outthink those inner voices that tell you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, because that's not true. And here's why. All right. So um, one thing that I hear people talk about a lot that I've had my own struggle with internally, like the cycle machia battle, like um, mm -hmm. I, I, the best example of, of what I'm saying is, uh, do you remember the Brady Bunch? Mm -hmm. Remember mm -hmm. Marsha and Jan and how Jan always thought that she could never compete with Marsha and she'd have this battle in her mind going yeah. back and forth. I feel that way about imposter syndrome. Yeah. But I think that because I, I feel like I want to deny it. It, it, it exists because I feel like, okay, if I recognize that I can do something, then I just accept it and I do it. But I've had some time to think about that. And I, I recognize now that it's not true. So I want to play a little game with you. I'm, okay. It's a rapid fire. I'm going to give you three topics. Okay. And I want you to say what comes to your mind, a message, like think about a message that you want to convey okay. to yourself as a middle school girl. This is who we're talking Ooh, to. Today. Okay. As a middle school girl, what do you want her to know as a gifted middle school girl from these three okay. things that I'm going to say? Okay. So first topic is on mental health. Oh, talk to your mother. Talk to your mother. I think a lot of, especially middle school girls get this, yeah, I can't be with my mom attitude. I never had that. I was always close to my mom. Um, maybe not as honest about my mental health as I should have been. But again, I mean, it was the early 2000s. There wasn't the conversation about mental health that there is now. But I just, you know, get off social media, talk to your mom or your aunt or some woman in your life. That's a great answer. The next topic is, okay, how do I say this? Owning that you excel in a particular area. Oh, Hmm. Oh gosh. I don't know that I'm even doing that now as an adult. That's a hard one, <laughs> honestly. So if you, if you, if there were no barriers, if you weren't worried about whether or not you do it, mm -hmm. what would you say? What would you have wanted said to you mm -hmm. as your younger middle school self? 13 year old girl in front of me. Ooh, 11 to 13 you, I think you are living your life. It doesn't matter what other people think because you're not going to see these people. 
when you're in your thirties, you are living <laughs> your life. What do you want it to be? It doesn't matter. Okay. Um, and I, I'm hoping that this last one is different. I hope it's okay. what I'm saying. I'm saying it in enough, uh, um, a clear enough way that it's different okay. on fitting in. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could be the juiciest, ripest peach in the world, but people may not like peaches. I saw that quote on Instagram and maybe it's because I'm from Georgia and we're the peach state, but I was like, oh, you're right. There are people that don't like peaches. They're crazy because peaches are delicious. <laughs> I don't like the skin on them. I have to yeah. peel them. You gotta peel it off. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, and again, as an adult, that's still something that I'm coming in to my own owning of, um, you know, and so as a teenager, that's going to be hard, but I think, you know, maybe plastering it up on your wall that you could be, you know, going back to Encanto, you could be perfect. You could be Isabel, but that there's still going to be somebody that doesn't fit with you, you know, and it wasn't until spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it wasn't until she got honest with herself that she realized that her marriage match wasn't going to work. Yeah, she let her hair down and she told the truth. She was honest about that. Ooh, and I love and that. And people were like shocked, like, really? You don't yeah. want to be with that? Yeah, I love it. The little cactus yeah. pops up. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. So is if there's one message that you could leave people with, um, whether it's students or teachers about giftedness, something that people misunderstand, a myth you want to bust, Ooh. what would it be? message or messages so many myths i know so many myths i think my biggest thing about gifted advocacy is that giftedness is real <laughs> uh, it's not a made-up thing it is just as real as students with autism students with adhd students with dyslexia students you know who are deaf students who are blind all of these are very real you know, bodily, mental things. Giftedness should be treated like special education. We cannot keep ignoring those students because they, you know, quote unquote, do better. It doesn't matter what their grades are. It doesn't matter if, you know, they're making a 30 or if they're making a 130. They're still part of the gifted umbrella and we need to treat them like that. Very good. I would even, I'm going to piggyback on what you just said. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, one myth is that people think that if a child is labeled as gifted, that they're going to be okay no matter what. And it's yeah. just not true because mm -hmm. like you said, not all gifted kids make straight A's. Um, it's not always about the grades for them. For a lot of them, it's about the experience or like there are many, many gifted kids hate school. Mm -hmm. I understand why, but about a third of them well, a little less, that's about 33%, but research shows that about 20% of them will drop out of high school yeah. for a lot of different reasons. Um, an uh, uh, another 20% of them will end up incarcerated. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the best and brightest minds. Mm -hmm. And it's largely because of circumstances, whether it's the school environment, the home environment, just being misunderstood and not getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. um, and about a third of them are going to be okay. 
So um, again, just to piggyback on what you said, they do need adequate and appropriate intervention. They are entitled to a free and appropriate education, although we don't, we don't ensure that they get it. They do deserve a tailored learning plan based mm-hmm. on their needs. And you know, I we all imagine as an educator or even society as a whole, I don't imagine that somebody would say, oh, your child is on the autism spectrum. No, they don't deserve anything. No. And it's the same thing. Yeah. And in there was an interesting conversation I had with a, an educator on Instagram about why is it that we say uh, gifted and not students with giftedness? Is it because we're holding them to a better, oh, they're gifted. For me, it was, it's just easier. <laughs> if I have to keep writing students with giftedness, students with giftedness, they're gifted. Student who has ADHD has ADHD. Student who has autism has autism. Being autistic is just a part of who they are. It's not their identity. But again, we're not, society seems to almost feel bad for those students because we can see their struggle. Whereas the gifted students, it's a little more in the closet, a little more secretive, or they're a behavior issue. And then that has nothing to do with their giftedness. They're just a behavior problem. It has everything to do with it. (laughs) Yes. And it's a very interesting way that we look at it. And I think it makes me, um, it's why I don't agree with the states who have taken away their advanced learning in the name of equity. Because I'm like, like, you're not doing anything equal for anybody. Because the parents that can will go to a school and pay to have the education that their kids need. So really the people that you're saying you're making this equal for are the ones that are going to suffer because you've taken away their, their, their chance, their free education that they deserve. I don't, you know, I, there's a lot of issues that stem down from the politics of it. And I think just don't get me started. (laughs) I mean, honest conversations, you know, yes to the student that I had my first day and stop. You have to have honest questions and honest answers. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise nothing's going to change. And that's that's a big part of why I'm a gifted advocate. I believe in tailored gifted education because right. those students deserve it. Right. But how many of them get it? Yeah, I think we're gonna go a bonus round. I do wanna share something okay. with you. I meant, I meant to earlier, when you talked about the classroom that you guys combined, Mm-hmm. And I think I, I shared this on a previous episode. Um, my first year as a teacher, I worked in a school district that was called a Robin Hood district. And what that meant is that it was so wealthy that they took money from this district and gave it to other um, poor surrounding districts. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they still do that. Yeah. But I had, um, I taught eighth grade over my, when I was a teacher, I taught eighth through 11th grade. Mm -hmm. Um, I student taught 12th grade, but I taught eighth through 11th grade. And that first year I had one class that was literally 50% special ed students and 50% like straight A students. And at the time that's, that's how I described it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I'm, I'm not sure that they all made straight A's, but they were definitely, the total opposite of um, as far as achievement goes. Mm -hmm. They were the high achievers. And 
nobody told me that they were doing that. As a teacher, as a first year teacher, I would think they would have a conversation about that. So I would be prepared and so that I could prepare. And they did it, they never said a word. Um, I also had a teacher who teamed with me, who was a special ed teacher mm -hmm. and had taught um, a year longer than I had, but she never wanted to teach, which I didn't understand. We had a great rapport, but yeah. I wanted the kids to see us as interchangeable, as equal, because we were going to be helping them both. Yeah. And um, we had to figure out a way to make it work. And it was the best experience for me because I understood it, it just forced me to differentiate because the kids had so many different needs and it was a beautiful experience. Like I still remember it to this day. And that was in the late nineties, um, that particular classroom, because it was such an interesting dynamic. And if they designed it that way, which yeah. they probably did, I, I just wish they had prepared me for it, but they didn't, yeah. but it prepared me to work with students from then on. And even for, I, I think my own children, just understanding how different they are. They have a lot in common, but their strengths and weaknesses are different as well. Mm -hmm. So um, again, kudos to you. I'm glad that uh, gifted learners have a teacher like you in their midst who can relate and who is willing to be innovative, to come up with strategies that will help them to thrive in the classroom setting. So thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. They, they are my passion and anytime I can talk, I will. I just, you know, it's, I want to see all of our students succeed. Likewise. Honestly. And on that note, I think we'll end there. Thank okay. you so much. I'm gonna- Thank you so much.